All right. Uh, I want you to take a moment and think about the, uh, the last thing that you did that required great courage. Last thing you did that felt really risky, required, required courage. It's, uh, it, it's not to be shared. I'm just giving you internal processors a chance to think, because half of you are like, I know, I know five already. And the other people are like, just shut up, let me think. Last time that you did something that required great courage and felt risky. What about the last time that somebody said something, did something, or looked at you in some way that made you feel less than? What was the last time that you felt smaller for some reason? Felt shame? Felt little? We're going to talk about the, the combination of those two things today a little bit. The combination of courage and the experience of shame. And, uh, and we'll kind of see where it leads us. We've been having some fun with, um, I've been having fun, I don't know about you, uh, about walking through these different stories from the Gospels during the Lent season. The stories uh, that are the healing stories of Jesus. So the, the moments where Jesus uh, radically changed a person's life through physical healing. And we are using those, like the ancient rabbis did, um, with, with how to look at scripture, um, not just for the story itself, but for the broader metaphor that it speaks to us in the ways that God longs to make the world whole as we follow Jesus. All right? So we, we are looking at a specific, and we are letting it inform the broad renewal and restoration and redemption of all things that God is at work to do. Okay? And so this week, uh, we are looking at a story in Mark. Oh, also, we're going to talk about some things that, uh, that like, people just don't typically talk about in church. Um, or that people don't talk about, period. <laughs> I was not trying for that pun. But that's where we're going. And, we're gonna, and, and there's a reason why we need to have this conversation. Um, man, I, I, I wish I would have written that. I would have felt very clever. So we're going to just start with the story. Uh, the story's from Mark 5, and, um, and as we dive in, I'm just going to kind of help us work through the story, and then we're going to take a step back, and we're going to look at some of the possible applications and, how, uh, and, and why this story is included, maybe, in, uh, in Mark's telling. Um, it's in other Gospels as well. But, uh, but in the midst of this, this kind of journey, um, we, let, me, let me give you a little bit of background. So in, in the Jewish worldview, following the law was crucial. Rabbis and teachers of the law would have long discussions about which, how to follow every law to a T and what it meant to be faithful. To be a faithful lover of God was to keep the law. Okay? This, Jesus eventually changes this radically where he says, trusting in me and the power of grace and forgiveness overcomes the legal implications of getting everything right. But to a Jewish person, following the law was everything. And these laws were not just about what we would talk morality, but, but they were about purity. There was all sorts of cleanliness laws. There were so many things that you had to do. Uh, we talk about this sometimes, but it got to the point where uh, it was so intense to follow the law that on the Sabbath, if you spit and your spit landed in dust and that dust moved forward, it was considered tilling the soil. This sounds like a joke, but it's not. And you broke the law. Okay, so, so just understand, we, we have no concept, because we are a people, hopefully, under grace, 
we don't have a lot of concept of, of truly how a religion like this worked, although I've talked to some of you, and some of you actually do have some pretty close experiences with it, um, depending on where you grew up and what kind of a setting you grew up in uh, religiously. But you need to understand that. So one of the laws, or one of the categories of law that, that uh, we read in the book of Leviticus was about... Um, ritual purity and cleanliness and how the body fit into that. And so within that, um, there were different laws for men and women, but uh, because of the nature of so many women's experience, uh, it was, the, the laws were a, a bit more intense if you were a woman in terms of when you were clean or not clean. And so uh, every time when your monthly period came around, you were considered unclean for seven days. Okay, a minimum of seven days. And what that meant was that you could not touch anything or anyone, or that person or thing was considered unclean. You could not pick up a pot. That pot would be unclean, and it had to remain untouched until evening when it could be washed again. If you were married and you touched your husband on the shoulder, he was not able to go to synagogue for the rest of the day and had to wait until sundown where he would be able to go through the processes and be ritually cleansed again, all right? This is very, very important to know because what that meant was that a quarter of, every, uh, of, of so many women's lives, they were considered unclean. A quarter of their lives, all right, according to the law. So um, now what happens is if someone would get sick and this would be, become a more intense thing, then the religious laws did not change. In fact, they, they got enlarged. So if you had an illness related to anything like this, as it reads in Leviticus 15, uh, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days other than the monthly period, or if it continues beyond that, she'll be unclean as long as she has it in the days, just as in the days of her period. Okay, so no matter when that is, if you are dealing with some sort of physical thing, you are considered unclean forever. We're about, the reason that this is so important to know, and if some of you are a little bit uncomfortable, like that's okay, you need to learn to be okay with this, and we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, but the, um, the thing, you're going to meet a woman who for 12 years has been ritually and ceremonially unclean. For 12 years, she's dealt with not only health issues, but she has been unable to touch anyone or be touched by anyone. She has been unable to go to synagogue with her family if she had one anymore. Unable to hear the teachings of the Torah. Unable to participate in any of the activities of a family life. Cleaning the house. Parenting. Helping in any way around, in any physical way. Okay, so, so this is, it's important for you to know what the law required and if she would come in contact with any other person, then that person would be unclean. So just imagine the attitudes around somebody like this. I mean, let's be honest, we just came out of a pandemic, so we can have some sort of a feeling of what it's like when you hear somebody sick and you're like, oh yeah, nice to see you. Right? I'm just, yeah, I'm just going on my way, you know. Like, we, we understand a glimpse of this, but not fully. So, in comes Jesus. Let's, let's take a look at this story. Um, in Mark 25, and you can follow along on the screen. Or Mark 5, 25. Uh, and, oh, by the way, this is a healing story in the midst of another healing story. So there's a guy who comes to Jesus. This is important, but we're not going to get into that story. It's intended to be an envelope story. Um, but there's a guy that comes to Jesus, says, hey, I need your help, okay? Um, let me pull this up so I get all the words right. Um, 
there we go. Um, this guy uh, is a, uh, a guy named Jerry, a synagogue leader, um, and his daughter's sick, and she's dying. And he says, please come. And Jesus says, his heart's moved. So he says, yeah, I'll come. And on the way, he gets stopped, okay? Because he's, he's known as a powerful healer. Everybody wants to be around him. Everybody wants to get close. All right, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. So this is as Jesus is trying to go somewhere, trying to move. Um, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had, this is really important. Um, all the information in the scriptures are usually, usually crucial for us. They're, they're intended to be there for a reason. Um, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Okay, so she had suffered. People had tried to help, had not worked. Just think of the exhaustion. Think of the frustration. Some of you can relate to this instantly. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, so she hears that Jesus is coming through. She hears that Jesus has been healing people, traveling from town to town. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Now let's pause there. Why on earth would she say something like that? All right, why, why would she, so she knows Jesus can heal, but why would she say, if I come up behind him and touch his clothes, then I'll be healed? See, this is where it's really fun to be a geek and get into, um, get into the kind of the Jewish story a little bit more. Um, what, what happens here uh, originates from two different passages, one in, in Numbers. Can we go to that um, passage? Do I have it here? Yes? Numbers 15? Great. Um, so in, in the book of Numbers, we're getting a lot more of the law. The law comes from Leviticus, but then Numbers um, and Deuteronomy and other ways. Uh, and what we get is this one little simple command that had really taken root at the time of Jesus. And this is that the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say this to them. Okay? Um, Throughout the generations to come, you're to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. So a little blue, so out of, the, out of these, these tassels, there was supposed to be one little blue line. Um, and uh, there's a whole bunch of theories about how that is a reminder of the waters of creation that, that God created beauty from chaos and all this stuff. But, um, and eventually it moves people to remember the, the um, redemption of God. You will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. So, so the, the idea was, listen, you're going to wear these little reminders on you and you're going to see them. They're going to be odd. They're going to not be like other clothes and they're going to be a reminder that, um, of, of the way of God. Okay? So that's there. The corners are called the kanaf. All right? The, the, the uh, word for kanaf or the word kanaf means two things. It means edges, but it also means wings. <laughs> it's really interesting. And so in the scriptures, when you talked about winged bird, birds like eagles on, you know, uh, people who will renew their strength and fly on wings like eagles, that's on kanaf, on borders, on edges, okay? So it's really important to know this is a, a word that's used throughout the scriptures. Uh, so, so anyways, we move all the way to the final verses of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi. Just a few verses between the end of the Old Testament where there was a 400-year silence before Jesus comes back. And here's what the prophet says. For those of you who fear my name, who, who, who honor, respect my name, um, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, in his knaf. All right? 
And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. So this was seen in the book of Malachi, stay with me here, as one of the messianic prophecies. Now, if you were a Jewish person, you were always looking at the scriptures toward the messianic prophecies. What did the scriptures promise about the one who would come and make everything right and bring the kingdom back? All right? And one of the promises was that this person who would come would have healing in his wings, okay? Or healing in his borders, in his tassels. So, someone who knew the law and who heard that the Messiah had come would believe that one of the signs of the Messiah coming would be that there would be healing in his tassels. And if I just touch the tassel, then there's healing. The reason that this is important is because this young lady, or old lady, we don't actually know, I'm just going to say this lady, um, has been suffering for 12 years, has been totally separate from all opportunities to hear the law spoken by, by the, the synagogue leaders. But somehow, whether it was from long ago or whether she continued to study and listen and learn on her own, she was still looking for the Messiah. She was still seeking to faithfully express her connection to God and follow God. So, so this is all really, really, really important. Um, and, and these days the tassels are still worn. They're called tzitzit, um, which is... Just another, that's the, the kind of Hebrew into Greek. Um, but anyways, so, so they're looking for this. And, and so what ends up happening? Where are we at in the story? If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Okay, so she goes, she finds, she's bumping her way through the crowd. Think about it, right? She's unclean. She's bumping her way through the crowd. They don't know it, but she's making them all ceremonially unclean too. Because that's the way it works, Right? The unclean thing makes the clean thing unclean, right? That's how it works. So, all of a sudden, she comes up, and she makes her way finally to Jesus, thinking, if I just touch his clothes, and she does. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt, what? listen to this sentence, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. What a statement. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Literally, it says, literally the flow of blood dried up and she knew she was healed. Literally, everything just stops. The pain, the source of pain, the source of shame. That's what happens. Um, This is just an incredible moment, right? Number one, of an end to physical suffering. But number two, of confirmation that Jesus is the Messiah. So it's, in, it's really important that we understand this was one of the reasons Mark was writing this. It was a reminder that Jesus was indeed the one, the one who was prophesied about, the one who was to come. But here's the thing. She feels the physical hearing, but her loneliness, her isolation, the power and impact of the social rejection for a dozen years, the internal damage of all of the shame and humiliation that had kept her aside over and over again, the suffering that doctors can't diagnose so easily, um, those remain unaddressed, right? And so, so what we get is we get this story that starts with the woman's perspective and what she longs for. And then all of a sudden, in verse 30, we take a shift narratively. Is that a word? Narratively? Okay. Coin in it. All right, so we we get this shift, and all of a sudden, everything from here on out is from the perspective of Jesus. Jesus, at once, realized that power had gone out from him. Fascinating. We don't know, did Jesus, like, feel something change, or was it his knowledge? 
We, we don't know. Like, is there, who was I talking about with this? Like, is there a finite amount? Yeah, is there a finite amount of power in Jesus? Like, was he like tapped out? Did he need to be like, okay, I need to remove myself and pray more so that I'm fully charged up for the next day. I don't tend to think Jesus was like a cell phone. But, but there's something there that is really significant for us to understand. Jesus, it wasn't just like, whatever. People are touching me all over the place and getting healed and it's healing for you, healing for you, like Oprah moment. Like, there's something different, and Jesus notices that something's changed. But it's not just that he notices something changed. He knows that there needs to be something more that still occurs. So he, so he notices this. He says, who touched my clothes? And here come the disciples. In the book of Mark, by the way, the disciples are always wrong. Um, and different people have different theories on why that is. Uh, I tend to agree with a lot of people that, that think that Mark was um, specifically bringing the story of the disciples, bringing to the surface how relatable they are because they kept missing the point because the people reading the book of, the book of Mark uh, were going through a, a time of deep discouragement. So like it's nice to know that the disciples had Jesus right there in front of him and still in front of them and still got it wrong all the time. So we, we don't know exactly, but over and over again, the disciples totally missed the point. And so what they say is, you see the crowd, the people crowding against you and, and yet you ask, who touched me? Like, this is ridiculous, Jesus. Um, and so, so, again, they're kind of missing the point, and the, the focus is brought back to Jesus. But Jesus kept looking around. Jesus totally ignores his disciples. There's probably an implication there for us. Sometimes we might be worthy of being ignored a little bit if we're asking stupid questions. Um, no, he always listens, but all right. Sunday school answers. Uh, at once, oh, you, let's see, you see the people crowding around, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Jesus really, really cares. This is, a, this is important to him for whatever moment. He's, he's being interrupted. He's on his way to a, a, a girl he's about to find out had already died before this massive resurrection moment of Jairus' daughter. But Jesus, he, he's like, no, 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 hold on, hold on. Someone touched me. I felt power go out. And so eventually, he keeps looking around. Who knows? Did he make eye contact? We don't know. But he's looking around to see who had done it. Everything kind of slows down. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear. So important. Trembling with fear told him the whole truth. All right, so this woman finally realizes she has come hoping that she can access this healing privately. And, she, and it kind of works. And then she tries to move on and Jesus says, hold on, everybody. Why would Jesus do this? And why was she so intent on having this whole thing happen quietly and privately? Well, for, what, what do you think the fear comes from? I mean, is it holy awe at the fact that she's just been healed? Maybe a little. Is it a whole bunch of fear about the judgment and shame that's about to come when, she, when, when it becomes exposed that she made all sorts of people unclean? That everyone that she touched has now become ceremonially unclean, has to go home immediately, that she should never have been there. Even a, a woman in the crowd, depending, who we, we know that Jesus brought women in the crowd, but a woman in the crowd in and of itself would have been a problem. So there's probably been like some secrecy, some covering up. Seriously, this would make a just incredible moment cinematically. Um, but, but anyways, um, when this happens, all right, um, she steps forward and she crumbles to her knees probably afraid of the punishment and the exposure and how the crowd will respond when they realize that she's bumped up against them. All right? She is so filled with shame. 
But here's the thing. She had courage to start. She had courage that she could be healed and undetected. But when her worst fears happen, she is forced to encounter Jesus in a different way than she just had. All right? She had just encountered Jesus, his power. But now she's about to encounter Jesus' character. And she has no idea what to expect. Now, what Jesus is doing is really significant, and it's the last part of this story that's so important. What she has done actually needs to be exposed. Not because it was wrong, but because it was right. Jesus needs to help people understand in this moment that they have not become unclean by her touch, but that she has become clean by the touch of Jesus. And Jesus wants everyone to know this. Her humiliation has been public knowledge for years. These are small towns, really small towns. Now her healing is going to be public knowledge as well. Jesus' words here are profoundly important for the crowd. They need to hear that she is not unclean, and the way that they need to hear it is in a way that is beyond physical. There is a deeply social and spiritual dimension to it all. So Jesus says to her, in the midst, she's trembling with fear. He says, daughter, and he doesn't say it in a paternal, uh, or in a, uh, in a uh, society that is, you know, patronizing and talking down to her little girl, little daughter. Jesus says, daughter, she's been isolated for 12 years. It's a term of connection, family, oneness. Daughter, he says, it's beautiful. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. Jesus recognizes all of her suffering, but he says, go in peace, be made whole be made whole. She was already healed, but Jesus says, be made whole. I am declaring you free and healed. And that word for made well, made whole, it's, it's the same word that we use for salvation in the scriptures. There's a wholeness to the journey that Jesus is declaring. Her trust in Jesus is bringing wholeness. That might be a helpful way for us to reframe this. Jesus is, is even when it's terrifying and risky, he says, Hold on, your fear and shame, it's too much of a burden to keep bearing. You've got the physical thing taken care of. But your healing doesn't need to be secret. And publicly acknowledging her, when he does that, he's saying your pain doesn't need to be secret either because I'm healing. She believed that Jesus was powerful, um, but she now sees that Jesus is truly good. And I wonder sometimes in our own lives if we've uh, grown up with, with those two things as being separate. Jesus' powerful Savior, Right? Like, I access Jesus for his power. It's great. Jesus saved me from my sin. Helps me live eternally. And I, and I just kind of go up and just like tap and move on. And Jesus is like, no, you're missing it. That's not wholeness. This, this ticket to heaven, that's not wholeness. There is emotional healing. There is social reconnection. There is, there is a new way of life that is intended for us to take off into. And it's not just a moment of accessing Jesus' power. It's a moment of truly grasping Jesus' character. He says, I'm trustworthy. In fact, I can help you walk away from your shame. But I want to call you toward me first. Because that's what it's going to look like. There is something so beautiful in that. Um, Jesus is not, not inconvenienced. He's not angry by her stealing her healing. Uh, he sees her courage and he meets it with compassion. 
And then when he says, go in peace, he sends her out. He speaks to her future as an, of a new life, characterized by this wholeness. So uh, we're just going to ask some questions of what can we see from a simple story like this? And it is simple. It's only a few verses long, um, but it's profound in a lot of ways. I, I think one of the things, uh, and then we're going to turn a corner for our, our last few minutes. One of the things is that courageous encounters with Jesus are exactly what Jesus is looking for. Sometimes, sometimes uh, we're afraid because of the power of shame, because of what guilt has done to us, because we've been told for so many years that we don't measure up, that God might want to save us but doesn't particularly like us, right? So trust God, but I mean, it's done so at a distance and not with a heart that understands the character of Jesus walking with people and saying, there's no more place for this. No more place for this shame that's been put on you. We'll talk about that in a second. But, but there's just this, this power that when, when we encounter Jesus, when we take moments and move forward in courage, it's always met with Jesus' compassion if it's movement toward Jesus and toward the kingdom. Uh, I think it's important that we notice that Jesus crosses all the boundaries that were not supposed to be crossed in order to validate and restore this woman, Right? The touching. He reverses, he reverses the whole deal, right? The unclean thing makes the clean thing unclean. And Jesus says, nope, the clean thing makes the unclean thing clean. It's the opposite flow. So instead of everybody in the crowd being unclean for, for good, instead of Jesus being not, unable to enter the synagogue, he's like, no, 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 I will speak that over everything. I will redeem what everyone else has told you is unclean, unworthy. Because it's not about your religious duties. By the way, I should probably say, a lot of the Levitical laws were actually grounded in, like, health um, and, and restrictions that were based on, on making sure that disease and stuff didn't spread. So in case you're being like, man, he's so down on these Leviticus laws, there's a place for what they were at the time, but the long-term impact we need to talk about in today's church. But anyways, um, so we're continuing to move through this. I, I mentioned already another um, thing that we might be able to see. This woman was seeking a private healing. But Jesus was inviting her, once again, to not simply experience his power, but his character. Um, and, and that's just so incredibly important. Um, Jesus desires to dismantle the shame that we carry that limits, us with connect, uh, that limits us from connections with others and full participation in God's world. I'll say that again. Jesus desires to dismantle the shame that we carry that limits us from connection with others and from full participation in God's world. There is so much shame that goes around in so many different directions. And we need to understand that a big part of this story is Jesus saying, I'm going to break that down. Even in the healing. She's looking down. She's trying to get away. He says, hold on. You're, still, you're trying to get out of this crowd still full, still, still embarrassed, still full of shame. Come and face me. You can trust me. And he sends her out whole in a different way than it would have been had she not encountered him the second time. Um, and then we're given an example, this is really important, of a woman breaking through unfair purity regulations and restrictions that had been based on gender. She is lifted up, her suffering is acknowledged in this story, and her shame is dismissed in Jesus' encounter with her. Which brings us to something really important that we give space for. Sabrina, come on up. Let's chat. And I realized that I uh, didn't bring a second chair out, so there's got to be one around here. Is this too high for you, Sabrina? Okay. 
Sure. Why don't you sit over here? So this is Sabrina. If you don't know Sabrina yet, uh, she's one of our pastors. Um, oh, my goodness. I was supposed to get you one. Yeah, thank you. And so we're just going to chat just a little bit uh, about a question that I have for you, Sabrina. This is a setup, by the way. What might I miss from reading this story from my particular social location and realities, Sabrina, that you see and say, uh, yeah, we should probably be talking about this? Hmm. Hey, Keith. Here we have go. you ever had a period? <clears throat> I have not. Was that a surprise to any of you? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually have another surprise. <laughs> this is weird, right? I mean, when I was pregnant, people recognized that I was, you know, carrying a baby. I was pregnant. But um, anything else to do with menstrual cycle is like, please, yeah. you know? 40 years of my life, you guys, I had periods. 40 years. When you subtract the years that I was pregnant... That means approximately nine and a half years of my life, I would have been ceremonially unclean. Right. I wouldn't have been able to be in connection with anybody if those laws were still in place. So there's like, there's like a whole big piece of identity connected to shame yeah. in this story. And, and specifically, when there are um, like medical or physical issues around this, like one of the things that we talked about was, you know, we talk about arthritis or immune disorders freely, yep. but... Um, and, interestingly, pregnancy, right. which does deal with this area. Right. But as soon as we would talk about anything like this, there's, there's a lot of um, discomfort, a lot of shame that, that emerges mm-hmm. in different ways. And, and there's a place for, like, well, certain things are allowed to be private, right? Yeah. And absolutely. That's not what we're talking about. No. Um, no. But we're talking about specifically, for, and, and we're giving a disclaimer that this is not everyone's experience mm-hmm. as women. I, I mean, I feel weird saying that. Like, this is I'm not everyone's experience as women. But we're making, we, we need to be very honest about that and emotionally or physically. These are not mm-hmm. things that everybody deals with, but many have. Right. And so it's valuable not just to do a women's ministry thing, but to talk about this as a church. Because so many times men have been on the part and on the side of shaming women for being women. And that's really the heart of what we're talking about. Women who have been shamed for being women. And there are some people in our community, and I can say this because I'm one of them, uh, who in past years and in past community settings, in the name of Jesus, have been shamed for being women and have been told, honey, you need to sit down and be quiet. And if you're not careful, people are going to think you're like sharing the scripture. <laughs> you know, I was literally told that. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of weirdness for some for some women in this community. So we're not trying to put this on everybody, but yeah. we want to learn to be sensitive to what that kind of shame does well, and, and what and we can do about it. The reason that I mentioned Levitical law and why it's so important here is that when we have a, a religious law that at one point said a quarter of your life, you can't participate in the life of the community or the church, certainly not any religious ceremonies in any meaningful way, you realize how much that limits women from being able to be involved in any in any of those things that, you know, that take regular care um, in any of the priestly duties, anything like that. So there was no, no chance for that. And so when, when we think about this and about specifically the words like unclean, and we think about how a lot of, um, a lot of men have interpreted that and how there's so many subtle ways of suggesting, you're, well, you're gross because 
you have certain physical processes that are totally natural, that, that you didn't choose, but like, ah, oh, it's frustrating, it's gross, that's weird. Like, and then we, think we, about what that does. It creates this culture of shame. It does. That then has massive implications in all sorts of areas, and we've got to talk about it and name it. Yeah, I mean, just think, think about the, the humorous, quote-unquote, humorous. Let's, let's all make PMS jokes, shall we? Right? But there, there are people who literally end up in inpatient programs because of the severity of the psychological-emotional suffering that comes along with PMS-PMD for some women. Um, but it's funny, right? If somebody's in a bad mood at work, PMS in the room, you know? And it's, it's, it's this whole thing. It's subtle, but it's so constant. And you had mentioned to me uh, your knowledge that in some African nations there are... You, you want to just share that? Yeah, so it's, it's so cool. Because both sides are Yeah, both sides. Right, right. Um, another thing that is totally weird and difficult and shaming for women is menopause. And I had been doing some research recently, and I learned that, that there are a number of... Um, there are a number of communities in African nations where there's a huge celebration around menopause because it's the point at which women become elders, essentially. The, the voices of wisdom, the, the wise teachers and those who now have the authority to speak from a, a place of life experience that they have earned. Um, and here, this side of the world, Boy, I haven't found that in very many places yet, you know? And that, and that involves a larger conversation on the ageism that There's exists. There's a little ageism in there, too. That exists, right, with our world where, um, you know, Rob and I have talked about this at length um, because he's done a bunch of studying on it and, you know, just the jokes that we make and stuff like that um, about folks who are aging um, and that they often make about themselves. Like, like we have a culture of, of less value. And so there's just so many implications to this and the things that can bring shame. So the broader, the broader conversation here. Oh, wait, yeah. I'm sorry, one yeah. more thing. So oh. scripturally, right? Scriptural yeah. stories, too. Just think about this. So there's all this shame associated with someone having a period. There's also so much shame associated with any woman who was barren and unable to bear children, right? Right. Yes, so the opposite. If, you're, if your menstrual cycle works... Ew, stay away from me for a quarter of your life so you don't, like, wreck me. And, 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 God, and God declares you unclean. Oh, yeah. At God least has a serious problem with you. And if your menstrual cycle doesn't work in such a way that you're able to conceive, then please, you, oh, man. And God, God, maybe, and God maybe sees you as unfaithful. You. And God sees you as in disobedience, right? Because And all these are there things was that women cannot control. Yeah. So, so that's really the key of it. There, there are ways that we go astray and miss the mark that we might feel shame for. Right, and and even though there's no, even though Jesus Jesus pushes us away from shame, there are moments where we, we make choices that we feel that. That's not even what we're talking about today. We're specifically talking about um, the the simple beauty that Jesus wants to set us free from shame that we hold for things that are completely outside our control, and have been placed on us, and that we have placed on other people, as a result of our culture or our spiritual heritage sometimes. And Jesus wants to help us move beyond that. And there's power in, in realizing that. Um, yeah. I think we just got to keep calling out sources of shame that should not be shameful for yeah. people to experience. And we need to realize that sometimes there's a spiritual foundation that we don't even realize 
because we have taken things like Old Testament law and unclean or limitations, and it's projected and it's morphed and it's evolved into its own thing here, but it still affects how, um, many, how many women's experiences are. And again, it's not everyone. Not every female body is the same. Um, not everyone's emotional journey is the same. And we make, um, it's very important that, that we allow for that, that truth that some of you are going to hear this and it's like, that's not my experience. That's, that's totally fine. But we've heard from many people that it's valid enough to talk about. Yeah, so I'm just going to throw a personal story in here, and, and I know for a fact that this is not the experience of most in this room. So definitely, this, this, this is my journey, but it's really illustrative of this whole thing. So motherhood was a really huge deal for me. It was very much part of my identity, and it was very much rooted in my being a woman. And I, for many years, partly because of the fairly patriarchal, uh, fairly, I don't need to qualify, the patriarchal <laughs> um, community that I was part of, that was like my safe place, was that I was a mother, right? And I had a bunch of kids, and I had them close together, and I loved it. Um, which means, flip it forward a couple of decades, when one of my adult children who had been living on his own, in fact, where I didn't even know where he was for over a year, but when he was arrested for murder, I instantly was so ashamed for being such a bad mother. So ashamed, you guys. Like, first thing I did when this came up on the news at just after 5 in the morning, I waited until 7.15. But then I called Keith, and I said, tell me the best way to quickly resign from all <laughs> places. Right. Okay, I was directing a show for a Christian school at that point. I was directing a musical. And I, I like, submitted my resignation at 11 o'clock that morning because I needed to distance them from me so that they wouldn't catch anything from my shame right? Because I was a bad Christian mother now. So I resigned. I tried to resign from the pastoral staff at LifePath. My resignation was not accepted. Thank you, Keith and Dwayne. Um, I, I, I tried to resign from my homeschool curriculum publishing business because I said, this, this is a mm. big enough crime that it may very well hit the national news, and I don't want you guys to catch this from me, you know? I was so ashamed, I was so ashamed, I was so ashamed, weeks and weeks and months, this weight of shame. And sometime around maybe three months in, um, I finally started getting some truth into me and recognized that actually this wasn't mine, um, and this didn't actually have anything to do with me as a mother. And it was like reaching out and grabbing that tassel, yeah. and healing came out, and I was... I was restored by Jesus from that suffering. But that wasn't enough. And Jesus said, no, no, no. Who touched me? Hmm. Let's talk about this. And he called me out, and it was terrifying. And I just got home yesterday from a conference <laughs> where I was teaching people about prison care because I tell everybody now about my son who committed murder five years ago. I'm not happy about it. I still grieve it. But there's no shame anymore, you guys, because yeah. of Jesus. And isn't that just an incredible glimpse of where, because you, you could have run from all of that. I tried really I know, hard. <laughs> I know. I know you did, because th that's exactly what everyone would do. Um, but eventually, there were moments that required courage that you chose to step into with courage, and it was met with compassion. 
which is this whole theme that I see when I look at the scripture, yes. right? That the, this woman's courage was met with compassion and it, and it becomes transformative. And now all of a sudden, and by the way, whenever we talk about good coming out of horror, it's never God causing the first thing to bring never, about the second. Never, Just in never, case you're never, new never, here never, to the never, church never. and need to hear this. And if you're not never. new and you need to hear it for a hundredth time, God's not the author of evil. God is so redemptive in, in the nature of the love of God that nothing is wasted in God's kingdom. So God can take the worst situation that God did not cause and bring, and, and in the midst of mourning with us, bring about beauty and restoration and redemption like a nonprofit that is transforming prisons as a result of the worst moment of your life. So, so this, this is important for us to acknowledge as we go. Um, yeah. And the courage, yeah. the courage piece. Okay, so we were talking on MC last week. And um, we ended up reaching this conclusion that is like a kind of weird thing that I'm not sure I've ever heard in church before, which is grace is terrifying. Hmm. Um, we think of grace as being wonderful, wonderful grace of Jesus, right? And it is. It's wonderful until it becomes terrifying. So it was wonderful when she touched the tassel and felt healing take place in her body. And it was wonderful until the moment that Jesus called her out, and now it was terrifying. And it was a part of his grace that he was calling her out because he was going to restore Fuller her restoration. completely, yeah. Yeah. right? For me, it was wonderful grace when I realized this isn't actually my fault. I didn't do this. I'm not a bad mother. I'm not a bad person because this thing happened. But it became terrifying when Jesus said, no, actually, we're going to do something more with that. Yeah. Grace is, grace is and if, and if that a shame had, deal. If that shame had been paralyzing and had not led the way to courage, then none of that would have occurred. Right. And that's what can happen right. to us. And there's no blame no. for when it feels crushing, but we kind of want to declare this not the end of the story. So uh, there's a, a, a little statement in Hebrews 12. Um, maybe we can put it up real quick. Um, that when the writer of Hebrews is encouraging uh, the disciples that are receiving this letter, one of the things that he reminds them of is that Jesus experienced shame that was unfair and undeserved, all right? So, so I want to just encourage you that if you are one who has experienced shame from the outside that is undeserved, that just remember that Jesus um, is in solidarity with you. But what we're told about the beauty of, of Jesus' experience on the cross, that he scorned its shame, that, that shame tried to do its worst to Jesus, and Jesus said, no, I will walk through this, and I will come out on the other side, because there is joy in the future, right? So, scorning its shame, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and scorned its shame. There is something more beautiful on the other side, as we walk through, and he, and he did not let shame have the last word, and that there's, there's such beauty in that truth, um, because he could have come back, you know, like there's, there's like super like horrible B-rate Christian movies about like Jesus resurrecting and boy is he angry and he goes and he just like slaughters like the whole earth, like robo Jesus. Like Jesus wakes up and he is set on revenge. Like we could have, you know, we could have seen that story instead of one who is heaped on shame and instead of destroying him, um, he gives it to God and it becomes a source of renewal and eventually forgiveness and love and redemption flows out of him too. It's just such, yeah, it's beautiful. So um, we just want to encourage you to think about all of these things. If you're, if you're fairly new to Life Path, welcome. 
I know we're not normal. We talk about this all the time. We're just not normal. But we love Jesus. <laughs> I was talking to somebody yesterday. They're going to have a t-shirt made for me that says, I do weird well. <laughs> it's That's like, life path. We can put the life path logo on Sabrina it. and I are like, we're really doing this tomorrow? Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. It's a, it's a conversation that we need to have. And it, doesn't, and it needs to be had together. Not just like, hey, you know, women, why don't you get together and talk about, you know, how there shouldn't be shame for this. 